know when you will get pressed into service around here. Sarah and Lauren, <laughs> hats off to you girls. <laughs> you did good. Yeah. But don't think we're going to get a substitute preacher that quick. Nope. I'm in here, folks. <laughs> Genesis chapter 27. We'll f finish up uh, chapter 27 this morning, hopefully. Uh, Jacob, with the help of his mother, Rebecca, they have completed the deception of Isaac, Jacob's father. Jacob has received the birthright, the blessing, the one that he has so desperately wanted, the very same blessing that uh, Esau despised. Isaac has given Jacob, the younger twin, the younger son, he has given him the blessing, but he has not done so willingly. Jacob he realizes all too well that dad loves Esau much more than he loves him. Happy Father's Day, by the way. <laughs> it's good to be loved as a son, as a daughter. Jacob didn't feel that love from his father. And when a child is a favored child, the one loved by his dead, Dad, you don't have to tell that child. He understands it. He knows it. But it's common in our world today for girls to say things like, Dad wanted a boy, but he got me. And the male preference in our world today is a worldwide epidemic that is going on. There's entire nations, in, entire continents that are out of balance gender-wise because of aborting and destroying girl babies. China and their one-child policy, China now has far, far too many boy babies versus girl babies. Many girl babies in China are aborted or abandoned simply because of their gender. In many parts of Asia today, finding a bride for your son, it can be a numbers problem. There just aren't enough women for all the men. And this bias, this gender bias, has become a major imbalance for much of the world. And bias in Isaac's family him loving Esau, Rebecca loving Jacob. It has scarred these two boys. It has scarred Jacob and Esau, to say the least. They have felt the effects. However, Jacob, he has prevailed in his deception of Isaac, his father, and he has the birthright now. So let's pick it up in Genesis 27, verse 30 through 46. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from hunting. 
He also made him savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is it? Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master. And all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of the heavens from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, and I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of these daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? What a story, huh? It's, you know, the truth is always more exciting or more fanciful than any make-believe could ever be. Who could make up a story like this? If this had been a movie script, it couldn't have been more dramatic as Jacob has scarcely left Isaac's tent when Esau comes in. You can almost hear the dramatic music in the background. Esau has returned from hunting. He has cooked his savory food, and now he offers it to his dad. Isaac greets Esau with, Who are you? I am Esau, your firstborn. Isaac trembles. 
and you ask who? In a moment, in a flash, in one of those aha moments, it dawns on Isaac that he has been deceived by Jacob and he has blessed Jacob, not Esau. And he trembles, and the word says, exceedingly. That's really shaking, I guess. <laughs> now, you can tremble from anger or wrath, but usually when we're angry, we rant and rave. We don't tremble. In my humble opinion, Isaac understands that all of his efforts to circumvent the blessing of Jacob over Esau they have failed, and he trembles. God has seen fit that Isaac himself would bless Jacob above Esau. And this has all been done against the will and the desires of Isaac who wanted to bless Esau. So this extremely trembling that Isaac is in the midst of this awakening to the truth and he awakes to the truth that God's will does prevail. Have we awakened to that? It has been said we can go kicking and screaming but we will go. <laughs> There's a scripture in that uh, I find very interesting, and it says that in that day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You ever thought about that a little bit? You're going to have atheists that are confessing and bowing before God. You're going to have agnostics confessing and bowing before God, and they will not be doing it according to their own will. God will require it. God has required that Isaac bless Jacob. I find that very interesting. Isaac, in a moment, he understands God's plan for Jacob and Esau. It is a done deal. He is simply a bit player in this whole episode. He cannot change it. The only part that Isaac plays in this whole matters was to pass on the blessing. That is all he got to do. And he had to do that, like it or not. Isaac trembles, and I think he trembles at the power and control of God over his own behavior, over his own intent and will God prevails. That strikes close to home with me, especially when I reflect back on my life, the twists and the turns that came about from many decisions that I made in life as a young man, and many times they were very poor decisions, and like Isaac, I look back at my life and kind of tremble. I kind of shudder because I fought God in my own life against his will being done in my life. And those are not pleasant memories. 
But God, in his love and his mercy, he took me through what I call necessary chastisements, teaching me lessons of who he was and how much in control he was. I remember God calling me to himself. God wanted a commitment from him that I would serve him whatever that service might entail, wherever that may take me. In my mind, I was afraid that God would call me to be a missionary. That was was a fear. And he was going to have me on the first boat to Africa as soon as I made that commitment to him. So I resisted. I fought it. I continued to attend church, and this went on for about a year. And I, every sermon it seemed like I heard was directed towards me making a commitment to God. And I go, oh, no, I don't, not that. And I was one of those Christians that wanted God as Savior, but I didn't want him as Lord. I wanted my salvation, but uh, I wanted to live out my own life, my way. So I resisted, like I said, for about a year, making this full commitment to God. But God, by his spirit, he did prevail. And I finally made that commitment to God. And to my surprise... I wasn't on the first boat to Africa. (laughs) But God began to work changes in my life. He began to orchestrate the events of my life. And that was about 25 years before I came to Alabama, before I came to plant a Calvary Chapel here in the Bible Belt. Now that might, who knows, but anyway. No boat to Africa, but a moving van to Alabama. That's, what can I tell you? And here's the thing. I couldn't wait to get here. I was so anxious to get here and get going and get doing what I felt God had called me to do. And when I look back on my life, God had to redirect my wants and my desires. And when I look back upon it, I, too, like Isaac, sort of tremble and try to, you know, kind of shudder. I could have been so foolish, but I did eventually submit to God. As a young man, there was absolutely no desire in my heart whatsoever to be a missionary or a pastor, for that matter. But I can stand before you and unashamedly say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And there is great comfort in that. Thank God that he did prevail in my life. Isaac, he has a call upon his life. Isaac is a patriarch. He is the son of promise. He is Abraham's son. He has received Abraham's blessing He is to teach his sons to have faith in the living God. That is part of Isaac's responsibility. He is to pass on God's blessing to Jacob because that's what God ordained. And Isaac does that, but he does it against his will. 
He's not in agreement with God on this. He's out there doing his own thing, and God is going to have his way regardless. And when we see Isaac trying to circumvent God's blessing of Jacob, and then you have Esau come into the tent, and Isaac asks, who are you? And then he says, where is the one that I blessed? And nobody had to tell Isaac that it was Jacob. Isaac understands God's blessing is upon Jacob. And then he says, and indeed, he will be blessed. Isaac comes to that epiphany. He comes to that awakening that God's will is being done right before him regardless of what he wants. In Hebrews 11.20, uh, a verse there, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And then Isaac, when he realizes what he'd done, he has done, he trembles when he understands that he has blessed that younger son over the older son against his will. Esau, he doesn't take it well. <laughs> he cries out, it says, with a great bitter cry. An exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he cries out, bless me, Father. Hebrews twelve seventeen says something about that too. For you know that afterwards, when he, speaking of Esau, wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Notice, when Esau wanted the inheritance, when he wanted the blessing, he was rejected. He found no repentance from God. Remember, this is the Esau. When it talked about him and his birthright, it says that he despised the birthright. And now we have Esau seeking repentance diligently with tears. He's getting all choked up. He's getting all emotional about this. And this can be hard for us to understand as believers today because it doesn't necessarily fit what we consider our image of God, that he's always loving, always forgiving. And in Esau, he's such a tragic example of foolishness. He's an example of a wasted life. Esau is not a young man when he goes into Isaac wanting the blessing. He's 75 years old. And he has spent 75 years in rebellion against God. And now everything has come to that point, that climax in his life. And God declares to us that Esau is a fornicator and a profane man and that, by the way, is not a good biography for any of us. 
How would you like to put that one on your resume? God says I'm a fornicator and a profane man. And you can check with him for references. (laughs) Esau, he wants that blessing, though. He cries out for that blessing. He wants repentance. And he wants a change of direction in his life. But for Esau, it's too late. He's past that point. And he cannot find repentance. Repentance is a God thing. Only God can change a heart and change a life. And Esau has passed that opportunity to repent. And that bothers a lot of people. Because a lot of people have a what I call a false illusion about repentance. Thinking that God owes us repentance if we simply ask. They assume that the grace of God, the mercies of God, is theirs to receive whenever they desire. Now, God is loving, he is gracious, he is kind, and he desires that none should perish. I know this. But every born-again Christian has experienced how our Lord is merciful, how he is gracious, and we thank God for his grace. And he grants salvations to thousands upon thousands. But don't ever forget, repentance, salvation, belong to God. Let me read you a verse. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. There's a host in heaven, and these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude with no one, which no one could number, all of the nation, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robe, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, now notice what they have to say, salvation belongs to God, our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation and repentance belong to God. And we have here in this passage, we have saints that are standing before God and they're in their white robes. This indicates that they've they've been cleansed, they're forgiven, and they're in heaven, and they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Esau, he has the distinction of being the only man that I know of in Scripture that seeks repentance and is rejected by God. He's the only one I know of. Esau was said of him that God hated him. That would trouble me greatly to have God say that he hates me. I'm willing to let God hate my sin, but I don't want him hating me. But only God can look at a life 
look at a person and see their life as a spent tale, as a done deal. The foreknowledge of God allows him to say, I hate Esau. Because God knows his character. Knowing that he is a fornicator. Knowing that he is a profane man. And he knew this even before Esau was born. Isaac, he does bless Esau in verses 39 and 40. But in verse 41, we have Esau saying in his heart, and this only shows Esau's character. It only reveals what he is. And he says, after Isaac dies, I will kill Jacob. There you go. That's the Esau we know and love. <laughs> you know. Esau is not only a fornicator, a profane man, but he desires to be a murderer. There was no sacrifice for murder in the Old Testament. You could not offer to God something that would remedy murder. There was no sacrifice. When David killed Uriah, the prophet comes to him and tells him, God has forgiven you. Why? Because David could offer no sacrifice that would give him that forgiveness. He had to be assured by God that he was forgiven through the prophet. Isaac, when he dies, Esau has planned. He said, I'm going to kill Jacob. And Rebekah hears about it. She hears that Esau comforts himself with the thought of killing Jacob. And so her thinking is, I will send my son Jacob away until Esau's anger is turned away. And she says, I will send, him, send for him in a few days. Those few days turn to be 20 years. Rebecca will never see her son Jacob again. She will never see her grandchildren. But yet, Rebecca and Jacob, they have prevailed in their deception. They've been successful. You could say they've been successful in their sin before God. But they're never allowed to enjoy it. They're never allowed to celebrate because there's no pleasure there. There's no cause to celebrate because Jacob now must flee his brother. So Rebekah and Jacob's sin has brought about a family split. And Rebekah, whose idea it was for this deception, she only now knows sorrow. There's no joy in her deception. And in verse 46, we hear Rebecca declare, I am weary of life because of the daughters of Heth, and this is Esau's wives. I'm weary of life because of her daughter-in-laws. Jacob is sent away. He goes to Rebecca's family, and he goes there to find a wife. And Rebecca and Jacob 
will never see each other again. Rebecca will die. Jacob will come back with all his children and his herds and everything, and he and Esau will, uh, will mend things and they will get along. But this is a story that does not have a happy ending for Rebecca, Jacob, Isaac, or anyone involved. There's no happy ending here. Esau, he's a man that is consumed with hate because he desires to murder Jacob. Isaac, he will live out the remainder of his life knowing that it was his disobedience to do God's will that has caused his family to be splintered, to be separated. And that it was his responsibility for what his family has become. Nobody else. Because he refused to do what God wanted. He was totally disobedient in his blessing. He wanted to bless Esau. And God says no. And this family has learned a very, very hard lesson. And the whole world gets to read about Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. And they get to see the sinful activities of deception and where it leads. They get to see Isaac not wanting to be obedient to God. You see Esau despising his birthright. And this whole story is just so tragic and so unnecessary. So what do we learn from it? What do we take from this story? Well, one, know this. God's will will prevail. It's going to happen. And here on Father's Day, we have Isaac making about as poor decision as a father could make, and it cost him his family. So we learned there, too, not to be like Isaac as fathers. And I wish this had a happy ending, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Sin has consequences, and they're not good consequences. So learn. Learn from this family. Learn not to be like them, if nothing else. So let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. I'm going to pray for us fathers, so bear with me. Father God, here we are on Father's Day in 2013, Lord, and we look at Isaac preferring Esau. And we see him just not being a father that's responsible. We see him not doing your will, but trying to do his own will. And we see you having to judge the whole family, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be that way. We really don't. We have tasted, we have seen that your ways are good. We have seen that your will 
is best for our lives. So, Lord, we ask that you would just put within us that heart that responds to you. Give us that attitude of obedience versus disobedience. And, Lord, let us learn from the examples of Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah. Let us learn from it, Lord, for we love our families and we want them to be spared the tragedy that we see in this family, Lord. So you do good things in the hearts and lives of our children and in our families. And let us fathers be good spiritual men. We have examples. And so we ask, Lord, that you do a good work in our heart and life by your spirit. We pray for not only the fathers of our fellowship, we pray for the fathers of this country, Lord. Let them stand up and be men of God. We pray for this, and we ask for this. We do so in your name, Jesus. Amen.